0: Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbert.
1: And I'm Devin Voda.
0: And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the endless mountains. Well, it's eco-news week.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, So we're going to get right into it. We have four good stories that you might have heard along the way, but we're going to kind of reiterate Uh, What we found and perhaps shed some new light on stories related to natural resources and wild animals, maybe even weather. So,
1: here we go. (laughs) Okay, so my first story here is kind of tying the last couple weeks' worth of episodes in with owls again. Oh, cool. We've liked owls lately.
0: Yeah, so what did you find?
1: Um, So, this is a research study about why owls fly so silently. Trying to figure that out. Never really occurred to me to think about how quiet they are. But if you actually sit there and think, they are pretty quiet, and they fly past you. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: like I said, I yeah. never really thought about it. But
1: for, for you, as big of birds as they are, they're pretty quiet.
0: Yeah. So I'm, now you got me curious.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, so they're looking if they can determine like what makes owls so quiet. Can they apply that to other like machinery stuff like that to make things overall a lot quieter?
0: Yeah, airplanes. Right. Sure. Good idea.
1: So studies found that um, the association between the ability to fly silently um, is actually a presence of, they call them, micro fringes on the owl's wings or trailing edge fringes. So on the very edge of the wings, there's these special like feathers.
0: Okay. Special, specially adapted feathers.
1: Right. Um, so they play a crucial role in suppressing the noise when the wing flaps. Uh, so this is a promising method. If they can figure out exactly what these fringes do, that they might be able to apply it to uh, more like fluid machinery. So they did notice that these fringes do influence both sound and the aerodynamic performance of owl wings. So they're not only helping reduce noise, but they're making the owls more aerodynamic as well. So they can fly faster, smoother, all that fun stuff.
0: That's pretty crazy that yeah. these particular feathers right. that you're saying yes. uh, actually make the bird go faster mm-hmm. and quieter at the same right. time. So um,
1: so to be able to understand how these micro fringes are working, they constructed two three-dimensional models of a real owl wing. One with the tail fringe, the trail fringe feathers, and one without. Kind of compare. What they find? So they found that the fringes do reduce noise and um, particularly at more like higher angles of attack. So probably when they're going to die for their prey, that kind of thing, maybe not necessarily as they're just flapping through the air on just a journey. And they also help to maintain aerodynamic performance more comparative to um, wings without those fringes. So they're kind of, they don't necessarily play a huge role in aerodynamics they found, but they do really help with noise reduction. The way that they do this is two different mechanisms through which the fl- air flows through these fringes. Uh, the first reduces the fluctuations in air flow by breaking up the trailing edge of vertices, so kinda like the edges of them, it, the air breaks it up a little bit better. So that's one way that it kinda works, and the other is they reduce the flow interactions between the feathers and the wingtips. So kind of breaking up where the main wing feathers and like, these tail ends come in it helps with noise reduction.
0: How about that? That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very intrigued. And yeah. Did they mention any technology that they might um, apply it to? So
1: they're still kind of working on how they can figure that out, um, but they're hoping with further studies into this that they should be able to come up with some sort of technological advance in making other things quieter
0: military i'm sure is pretty interested in that yeah, one so
1: absolutely all
0: right so for the article that i found well, first i'll ask you this are you intrigued with weather at all yes <laughs> so little background on myself i when i was younger i really wanted to be a meteorologist so mm-hmm. i've always i don't know just weather has always caught my eye and i just uh i have weather, a weather station at home mm-hmm. and i just love it so The one article that I found had to do with hurricanes.
1: Okay.
0: We're not in hurricane season anymore, but I think we can both agree that hurricanes seem to be getting stronger.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And that's kind of what this particular article was about. And new scientists put out a, a headline. The headline was, hurricanes are becoming so strong, we may need a new scale to rate them. Wow. So... Uh, Just to get into it a little bit. So, five storms in the past decade had wind speeds that belong in a hypothetical Category 6. Wow. Right now, they just go up to a Category 5. Right. Uh, So, officially, there's no such thing as a Category 6 or even 7 hurricane. Any storm with sustained winds of 156 miles per hour and over is a Category 5. Okay. So... You know, perhaps there are some storms out there, which we get to in a minute, that technically breach that threshold. Mm-hmm. So that might make them the hypothetical six or even seven.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah, so they listed in the article a couple reasons why we need to think about maybe increasing that scale a little bit. Um, the, the first point is they mentioned, according to basic theory of hurricanes, Hurricanes form what they call a heat engine, and uh, warmer oceans, mm-hmm. which we know that the ocean, at least right now, is a little bit warmer than it has been. Right. So that's causing or generating stronger storms. So that's our first point.
1: Makes sense.
0: Uh, secondly, technology is so good now, we can kind of pinpoint accurately mm-hmm. you know, those wind speeds. Uh, so... The models they're able to detail the storms a little bit better, so they're finding out that you know perhaps some of these storms that we're recording right now do have higher speeds, and and perhaps even looking back, you know over former storms we didn't have that technology, but we've really been able to pinpoint wind speeds a lot better. Mm-hmm. So that's their second point, and third, over the last nine years, like I said at the beginning. Uh, we recorded the five highest speeds in these hurricanes Mm -hmm. so if you're looking over i think they said uh, of the 197 tropical cyclones classified as category five between 1980 and 2021 they mentioned that half occurred in the 17 years before 2021 and the five with the highest speeds occurred in the last nine years wow so just in the last nine years we've had the top five highest speed recorded hurricanes that's crazy it it is it's pretty wild so here's the counter argument okay there's a little bit of that too we like to present a little bit balanced approach to Mm -hmm. some of these news articles so uh, these scientists they aren't actually proposing that we increase that scale to six or seven they mentioned that they really want to make sure that we're looking at a holistic point of view. And they mentioned that maybe the whole scale should be redone. Okay. Um, they mentioned that because we've had Category 1 or Category 2 storms that have actually caused more damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, reason being is flooding and storm surges. Right. Those are particularly the most impactful part of a storm. So maybe they should look at you know the whole scale change it up a little bit so it just doesn't have to do with wind speed Mm -hmm. which i think is a good idea i agree yeah um it's kind of like the old you know like uh winter storm warning and winter storm watch people get that one confused just because of the wording Mm -hmm. um maybe the same can apply to the Safford simpson scale Mm -hmm. of hurricanes and uh Maybe looking at it, like I said, more holistically and right. a balanced approach to like the total impact of mm-hmm. a
1: storm. Yeah, there's a lot more factors in those storms than just wind.
0: Interesting, nonetheless, that they're you know th- that they're taking another look at this. Mm-hmm. So I like that.
1: Definitely something we'll keep you guys updated on if we hear anything. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so changing speeds here a little bit with my last article taking us to food. Okay. Um, So scientists are trying to determine how they can help farmers in more like drought years, which seems to be pretty, we swing pretty frequently between really wet years and some pretty dry years, so.
0: Yeah, or regionally. Right. You know, there's a lot of variables and Mm -hmm. variants between, you know, here in the Midwest or Mm -hmm. uh, Southwest or whatever, so. Right.
1: So this study is, they're hoping to be able to cultivate and characterize uh, tomato varieties that might have a higher water efficiency without compromising yield. So they'll still be able to get pretty high yield of fruit off of the plant without necessarily needing as much water.
0: Hmm. So how are they doing this?
1: So they are going in with the CRISPR genetic engineering technology, which I hadn't been familiar with that term, so I did look it up, and it's a molecular biology that modifies genomes, and it's based on like a bacterial, the CRISPR-Cas9, which is an antiviral defense system, so they're kind of playing with that a little bit, and that's why it gets the CRISPR name.
0: I think there's a, on Netflix, I think there's a special dedicated to talking about CRISPR. Okay. I think it has to do with uh, basically eliminating parts of DNA. Okay. To change up the DNA. Mm-hmm. Make you whatever you want. Right. You know, whatever aspects of plants or animals. Mm-hmm. So they're playing around with that, which is Right. Amazing. <laughs> I don't even know.
1: Yeah. So that's kinda how they're working with this. You hear genetically modified think the worst, but it's not necessarily always bad. Um, So this team was led by researchers from the School of Plant Sciences and Food Security, so they know what they're doing when it comes to food modification, that kind of thing. So they went out and they they wanted to explain how, in the light of global warming, kind of diminishing freshwater resources, How can we help agricultural with not losing their yield like they have been in previous years, um, but naturally at the same time, kind of keeping the integrity of the plant as well. Uh, So the process called transpiration, uh, where the plants evaporate water from their leaves, also happens at the same time as carbon dioxide enters the leaves. So this is kind of the process of how the plants grow and how they feed themselves and are able to produce their fruit. So if these two systems can't work hand in hand with like drier seasons, they happen. So they happen both through what's called a stoma, kind of like a pore in the leaves. Yeah,
0: opening. Yep.
1: Right. And in, they notice in drier years um, that stoma kind of closes to try and retain water. Um, so that allows for less carbon dioxide to be um, taken up by the plants and therefore affecting the yield by not being able to photosynthesize as well and creating that sugary food that they need to create the fruit. So what they did with the CRISPR method is they went in targeting a gene known as ROP9. The ROP proteins function as switches toggling that stoma kind of to open and close. Uh, So they were able to go in, mess with this ROP9 with the CRISPR technology to create it so that the stoma only partially closes. So they're still able to Taking the carbon dioxide, release some water, but not fully. Kind of cut it off. Um, with this, they were able to notice that photosynthesis was still able to take place even on those drier conditions, um, and was able to still yield the right amount of fruit that they would have been able to in wetter conditions. So they're gonna try and they're still working on this technology a little bit, trying to see what they can do. Um, they didn't note that they used tomatoes because it's similar to a lot of other crop plants on with their genetic makeup so hopefully should be able to help farmers nationwide eventually
0: and that's not to say that there's other practices that they can't implement right right you know so conservation district we uh encourage the use of no-till right um, which helps because you got cover crops mm-hmm. um which eliminate you know some of that uh Dry evaporation up. right yeah so Yeah, so there's other things you can do, but it's definitely interesting to hear Mm -hmm. what scientists are working on. Yeah. And uh, who knows?
1: Yeah, technology's always advancing.
0: Uh, One final one from me. So this is kind of reeling back into PA. This particular article has to do with predatory rovers. And they're talking about fireflies or lightning bugs. Which, Which one do you call them?
1: I kind of go back and forth between the two.
0: I think we've had this conversation before, but I do also. So they found out there's two new species of fireflies. Hmm. They've documented here in Pennsylvania and Delaware. Dun, dun, dun. They're not just any fireflies. Okay. They're predatory. Ooh. Meaning they eat other fireflies. Oh, no. (laughs) It's, I don't know. It's what they do. It's how they survive, so. Mm hmm that's kinda of nature, I guess. But yeah, they found out that they weren't quite the uh the common eastern firefly that we all know and have caught in mm-hmm. younger years. This one they mentioned actually they're both species were found to belong to the genus Photaris, a family of Femme fatale lightning bugs, which they they lure males in with their glow. So in each of the, the studies they found that they have a little bit different light and um, light periods that they emit. Okay. You know, whether it's flashing or or blinking or they found or narrowed down what their light emitting range is. Mm -hmm. We'll say. But they're definitely different than your common firefly. Okay. Like I said, one was found in Delaware and Pennsylvania, the other one specifically in Pennsylvania and they're both considered kind of rare or uncommon for the region. So, you're not going to see them all over the place. You're not going to see huns mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense because they right. just discovered them so mm. uh, pretty cool and i just wanted to mention it because um you know that we have to take care of our rare and endangered species right. and bring them back so whether it's determined that these are indeed endangered or is yet to be determined so we'll find out a little bit more about these let you know as right. well in the coming months and years ahead
1: so sounds good All right, I guess that does it for today's show then. If you have questions related to our shows, you can contact the Conservation District by calling 570-782-2105. If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes and links to information about past episodes. You've been listening to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Devin Voda.
0: And I'm Don Hibbert saying enjoy the outdoors.